Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, please turn with me once again to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, we are making our way into chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 2. And our focus text this morning will be the first 12 verses of chapter 2. The first 12 verses of chapter 2. Hear now the holy, the inspired, and the inerrant and infallible Word of God, written for you and for me today. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah." For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Well, thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's go before him together in prayer and ask his blessing on the preaching of it. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we have read your most holy word here in our ears, We pray that your spirit would apply the truth of those words to our hearts, and we pray that this would be done uh, for your glory, Lord, that you would work in us what is good and right according to your good pleasure, that we would be faithful servants who walk according to you and in faithful obedience to your word. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, people of God, promise prophecy, covenant, and fulfillment, these are four big words that we see apply time and again throughout Matthew's gospel. And in fact, we've seen a couple of times already in the first chapter alone, haven't we? Right out the gate, 
We've been blessed to know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants by way of his lineage and who he is. And he is the promised son. He is the promised Messiah. And further, Scripture teaches us that he is the mediator of the new covenant. And this promised Messiah wasn't merely identified and proclaimed and yet remained far and away from his people. No, Matthew declares he has come. The Son of God took on flesh. He was conceived in the Virgin Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit and was born as a baby to her and Joseph in Bethlehem. Again, all done in fulfillment of prophecy, even that which we see by the prophet Isaiah. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, arrived to dwell among his people, to live and to die and to rise again, that we would be saved from our sins. Matthew says this so wonderfully and succinctly, even in declaring what his name is and what it means. Another beautiful piece of how God orchestrated Christ's first advent was in the details of the angelic announcements. Remember Gabriel's announcement to Mary that we gleaned from Luke, and the angel's announcement here in Matthew 1 to Joseph. And those, coupled with what? With obedience by Joseph and Mary to do and to carry out what the angel of the Lord told them to do. If you recall, Mary and Joseph had concerns about how the details of what had and and would happen could be true. And yet God gave them his peace, he worked in them, and he caused them to be faithful in carrying out his commands with joy. And so as Matthew continues, the line of the king and the birth of the king is now followed by an account of those who came to worship the king beautifully. And we're going to consider that specifically in verses 1 and 2, as well as the heart of Herod in verses 3 through 8, and the response of the wise men finally in verses 9 through 12. And so look at verse 1 and notice how Matthew really sets the stage here. He gives us the time and the backdrop and some of the details of the arrival of these foreign travelers. Look at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And so Matthew says that Jesus was born when? In the days of King Herod. But who was Herod? Sometimes we read that portion and that verse, that passage of scripture, and we say, okay, yeah, the days of Herod, but I'm not entirely sure who he was and what he did. This is Herod the Great. Keep in mind that as we consider more about him, that Herod was the family name of a ruling dynasty in Palestine. There were really four Herods named in Scripture, along with Herod Philip II, who is referred to as Philip the Tetrarch, in the New Testament. 
Herod the Great was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau. And he was the son of a high-ranking official in the Hasmonean dynasty that ruled Palestine. Remember the Hasmoneans back as we considered the introduction to Matthew in the intertestamental period that then led up to the Romans and their rule presently. Now, due to intermarriage uh, between the Jews and the Edomites, Herod the Great called himself a Jew, but didn't really observe or seek to follow the Mosaic law. He was appointed by the Romans to be the governor of Galilee in 41 BC, and then he was appointed king of Judea and ruled from 36 BC to 4 BC. The Roman Senate gave him the title king of the Jews, which will be important, as you know, and as we will see here in the coming verses. Now, during his reign, Herod followed the directives of Rome, and he tried to keep the peace in the region. That's really what Rome charged him to do, and so he sought to do so. And how did he do so? Well, I'll point out a couple of things here. One, he reduced taxes. He worked to bring about some economic prosperity in the region. He built the port city of Caesarea and the fortress of Masada and fortifications around Jerusalem. Herod also built a magnificent palace for himself that is called the Herodium. However, he was also known for his bloodthirst and cruelty. He was quite fearful of rivals, even within his own family. And we see this quite often of tyrants, right? That behind their face, behind their facade, behind this hard exterior and confident exterior, what is really in their heart, what is at the root of things? Fear. Fear. Indeed, Herod was fearful of rivals, even within his own family, and and. To point out a couple of details and examples, he had his wife's brother, Aristobulus, the high priest. He had him drowned in the swimming pool in his palace. He put to death 46 members of the Sanhedrin. He killed his mother-in-law. He also had his wife, Merimni, murdered along with two of their sons as he considered them potential rivals and Uh, as they and others may have viewed that they had some legitimacy to the throne, that was of great concern for him, and he offed them, got them out of the way. One could say that Herod the Great's wickedness was self-preservation at any cost, and indeed throne-obsessed, right? Herod the Great died in 4 BC, and so Christ was born around 5 to 6 BC. And Matthew goes on to say that there were wise men from the east that came to Jerusalem in search of the king of the Jews. And who were these wise men? Well, these were men otherwise referred to as magi, and they were referred to as magi because the Greek for them is magoi. You've likely heard the song, We Three Kings. Maybe some of you kids have sung that song, which is about the wise men. However, scholars don't believe that these men were kings. 
The idea that they were kings comes from the nature of the gifts that they brought, but the Greek word, magos, it actually means astrologer or magician. These were the magicians, the astrologers, the enchanters, the priests, and the court advisors who surrounded the thrones of the kings of the east. And therefore, they were powerful and influential men. They had significant influence, really, in shaping kingdoms, if you think about it. They had the king's ear, and the king followed their counsel, by and large. We learn more about the Magi in Daniel chapter 2, which was 500 years prior. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar summoned his magicians to interpret his dream, and the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses the same word, magos, regarding the magicians. Remember how they couldn't give the interpretation, but Daniel could. And Daniel prophesied about the kingdoms that would rise and fall, as well as Christ's kingdom that would last forever. Daniel was made ruler over Babylon. And Daniel and his words were likely passed down and remembered. And so now, generations later, these magi traveled to Jerusalem from Babylon. And their journey was very long. And considering this, and the fact that verse 11 tells us that when they arrived, Joseph and Mary were no longer in the stable, but they were in a house, Contrary to modern nativity scenes, the wise men actually arrived a year or two after his birth. And when they arrived, the wise men needed help finding him, notice in verse 2. They asked him the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. So notice here this, this three-pronged focus in their question and statement. These astrologers did what they were skilled in doing. They were skilled at gazing in the stars in the heavens. And yet under divine direction, as they followed what they determined to be the king's star, having a desire to worship him, once they found him, here they were. It had taken them, them thus far, and they wanted to know where he was. They couldn't have found Christ on their own. They had to be led, notice. And so their question was, where is he? The star's taken us to where we need to be. Where is he? We desire to see him so that we can worship him. Beloved, those that know something of Jesus want to know him more. Notice that. This group of wise men came long, they traveled long, in order to see the King of the Jews, in order to see Christ. The Magi didn't only want to know where Christ was, as if having that information would have satisfied them and they would have called their journey a success and headed back home. But no, they wanted more. They wanted to see the coming King. Now, what was this star that led them? Well, in the details, it's not entirely clear. Some scholars believe it's a natural phenomenon, maybe like a great comet or maybe even a supernova of some kind. 
It could have been something that was miraculously supernatural. Didn't really fit into any pre-existing category. It was supernatural. I believe it's the latter. Whatever it was, though, God used it to guide these men to Jerusalem and then to Christ in Bethlehem. But what would the reigning king of the Jews think about this? We've heard this about Herod, right? The Romans and the Roman Senate called him and gave him the title, the king of the Jews. But yet, here are the Magi saying, where is the king of the Jews? We followed his star. It wasn't Herod's star. Notice verse 3. We get a window into Herod's heart. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Was Herod happy and impressed with the dedication and the journey of the Magi? No. Right? He, notice, and the people were troubled. They were literally agitated, and they were upset at the reason for their, their arrival and why. Well, we have clarity about why Herod would be troubled. There was another who was claimed to be the legitimate king of the Jews. And they were there to worship the newly born king of kings. But why would the people of Jerusalem be troubled? Maybe that makes sense as to why Herod would be troubled, but why the people? One could think that they would be excited and maybe even relieved that a king would come that would release them from the bloodthirst rule of Herod. It's possible that the arrival of the Magi was concerning to the people because of the size of their entourage. These Magi being the high-ranking officials that they were around the thrones of the East, clearly didn't come in a small group or alone without provisions, without protection. The entourage was likely large, possibly even with a small army for protection, as well as the value of their gifts needed to be protected. They may also have been troubled because they knew that when Herod is threatened, there will be blood in the streets. Herod has this history. He's been known to do this. He has a reputation. We'll see more of that in a moment. Remember what was true of Herod. His perception of threat and feelings of fear fueled his thoughts and actions toward potential rivals. And so what did Herod do? He did what he's always done. Right? He engaged in a mission to find and eliminate Christ. And notice his methodical craftiness in his attempts. His first question was, where was Jesus to be born? The scribes and the chief priests, the experts of the Old Testament scriptures, knew the answer right away, didn't they? Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. But notice verse 5, as they communicate this to him. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Notice. 
This child, the Messiah, the king, was not only to be a king, he was a shepherd king. He was a shepherd ruler that would rule and shepherd his people Israel. And the prophecy they reference is from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Let's read that briefly. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read there, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, we also read, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so all of these verses point to the promised Messiah. And what do they teach us about Jesus? Again, he is the ruler who shepherds. He is the ruler who is eternal from everlasting. He is the great lawgiver, the, the king who the people obey. So again, as you're, as you're piecing these things together in the continuity thus far in Matthew, see all of these promises and fulfillment. Promise, fulfillment. The wonderful connections, the trustworthiness of God, the awesomeness of our God, in the coming of Christ, the great shepherd, the great lawgiver, the great king. And notice that though the chief priests and the scribes knew that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, notice that none of them cared to make the short trip with the wise men to go and see Jesus. I mean, on the one hand, you would think, man, here it is, and they knew prophecy. And now the wise men come and say, where is he? you would think that they would rise up and say, ah, yes, we know. Let's go with them. Because we want to see too. No. Their hearts were hard. They were blind to the truth. It's quite telling. Dark hearts, blind eyes, and deaf ears. But now Herod knew the location. And what was step two of Herod's tactics? Step two was to call the wise men into a secret meeting and to get information and to deceive them. In verse 7 we read, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. Make sure it's him. And when you have found him, Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Herod wanted to know when the star appeared so that he could estimate Jesus' age. And further, not only did Herod want these men to think that he wanted information so that he could know, but step three of his tactics involved Herod sending them on a reconnaissance mission. So that once there, they could send word and he could go and he could worship Jesus too, he said. What hypocrisy. What hypocrisy. But we shouldn't expect anything else coming out of the lips and from the heart of a wicked king. There is no greater cruelty than cruelty 
and pretense of worship. And yet this flowed from his wicked heart. But notice how the Magi then responded in verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So the wise men listened to Herod and they left. And they were once again guided by the star to Bethlehem. But notice how the wise men joyfully followed God's direction. In verse 10, when they saw the star, what was true, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They couldn't contain themselves. Here is the star again. It's going to lead us exactly to the place where he is. They were excited. Scholars believe that the star may have disappeared after it brought them to Jerusalem, but then reappeared when they left Herod and were ready to move. And as the star had reappeared, God gave them confirmation that they hadn't been deceived or taken the journey in vain. You can imagine that after meeting with Herod and after having picked up by God's grace and work some of his deception, they may have been very discouraged. But here, the Lord gives them joy. Right? Beloved, think about it. Do we have a similar view and appreciation for the direction and the guidance and the providence of our God? Do you wonder or struggle with doubt as to why or where and how God has led you thus far? Some of you might. Though God doesn't reveal to us all of his reasons and purposes, we consistently are called in the scriptures to view and to stand on the truths of his character, of his attributes, of his promises, as we think about or even wrestle with his providence. We're called to take up our cross and to follow him. And that means that we're taking up our cross and being led by him. We're called to trust and to patiently wait upon the Lord, and this is helpful to us. For we can have complete confidence that when direction is truly needed, light will come. We need to remember that. You may have heard me say that in other messages or sermons before, but it is true and applicable even here that when direction is truly needed, light will come by the work and grace of God. And so the wise men rejoiced at the sight of God's light. They rejoiced that the star took them right where they needed to go. And notice verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so there's a lot going on here to learn from. But just briefly... First, the the Magi could have assumed and anticipated that the star would have stopped over a palace that housed the king of the Jews. They could have expected that. They were well familiar with kings as they surrounded the thrones of the kings of the east. They may have had their own thoughts and understandings as to what their expectations of the king would be like. But rather, it took them to a house. They could have been quite disappointed 
and therefore doubted whether Jesus was the king that they searched for. However, God was at work, and the wise men walked into the house with confidence that the king was there. And when they saw him, there was no question or debate, notice. There was no question or debate. They knew who he is. They fell down and they, they worshipped him. Beloved, humble and reverent worship is the right response when God's people are in God's presence. This is true for us and what we do each and every Lord's Day. We come humbly before the Lord in his presence and we worship. It was true for them too. And notice the preeminence of Christ here. The Magi saw Jesus with Mary, but didn't worship her. Their worship and adoration was directed and offered to Christ alone. But also secondly, from this position of worship, notice how the wise men presented themselves to him before presenting their gifts. They didn't do this when they were before Herod, notice. Indeed, all that have found Christ fall down before him and adore him and submit themselves to him. Again, consider their rank and their worth in their lands. And here they are, bowing down and worshiping the king. But further, thirdly, notice that all worshipers are givers. Worshipers never come empty-handed. Worshipers are to give their lives as living sacrifices to God. And now it was customary with the Persians that they would bring gifts to a king, and they did. The early church fathers believed that these gifts were valuable and meaningful. Gold was fitting for a king. Frankincense was a gift fitting for a priest. And myrrh was a gift for burial. It was used to embalm dead bodies with. And indeed, as we've seen before and talked even today, Jesus was born to die. And so it was fitting, even prophetic for him. But practically speaking, know that the gifts that were given were not only honorable, but they would help finance then Joseph and Mary's flight to Egypt. In verse 12, we read, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. We're going to see next week, uh, Lord willing, even Joseph and Mary's flight uh, following. But these wise men, verse 12 teaches us, had been changed by God in their encounter with Christ. And having received divine warning, they turned and went another way. They knew that they didn't need to return to Herod. They must not return to Herod, even though he had told them to send him word, even though he was expecting them to come back. No, they would not. They would go home another way. So, beloved, as we consider this journey and this encounter of the wise men with Christ, never forget that wise men worship. Wise men worship the king. It was true then, and it must be true today. 
Christ calls his people to worship him. And like the wise men, it's our duty to worship and adore Christ with all of our hearts. It's our duty before Christ and in covenant relationship with him to present ourselves as living sacrifices unto the Lord. It is our duty to praise him. For the lawful and the reasonable worship which he demands is really that we consecrate ourselves first and then all that we have to his service. We don't hold anything back. We don't reserve something as if it's not his. It's all his, and we are his. And that is the way it must be. That all we have is for his service. Well, amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together.